Oh, Heavenly Father. It's hard here on earth to fully fathom the the depth of your love and the depth that you went in sending your one and only Son to buy us back as a ransom from our sin. And God, we fully admit that on a daily basis we blow it. We fully admit that on a daily basis that that there are times that we probably make a mockery of your name. There are times that we don't love like we should love, that we don't understand like we should understand. But your cross from your, of your sons, our King Jesus, his cross demands a response. It demands something from us. And it's a price. It demands our life, our soul, our all. It is why what it is why we do what we do as believers. So we thank you for that. Because again, we're not deserving. But we're grateful. And we're not walking around with our chest puffed up thinking we're better than anybody else. No, we're humbled because again, the price that you paid by sinning your own son is greater than anything that the world can afford. It's greater than any treasure here on earth. It is our hope. It is our peace. It is our eternal security. And it is part of our purpose here on this world to receive you, Jesus, as Savior, to grow through the power of the Holy Spirit as He works in our life, and to impact people and touch people's lives in any way you call us. And sometimes, Lord, that's just a smile. We live in a world that is so filled with anxiety and depression and worry and doubt. Sometimes it's meeting that person in the aisle of the grocery store just smiling and saying, hey. It's being that friendly face. It is being the light no matter where we are. And it has nothing to do with us. It is your life inside of us, and we thank you for that. It is in your name. Amen. So good to see you this morning. If I haven't met you, my name is Will. Um, I, uh, along with these very talented individuals, I, I, I get the pleasure of, of, we all get the pleasure of leading in worship. Charlie called me this week. And Jim was just taking a little bit of a break, like Charlie did a couple weeks ago, you know, just to catch his breath, get away for a little bit. And Charlie was covering for Jim, and he asked that if I would cover down here. And 
And I said, yes, I always enjoy doing that. And I thank you for your, your grace and patience in that as well. That song, uh, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, Isaac Watts wrote that song back in 1707. Uh, George Whitfield started omitting the fourth stanza in 1757. And it's more to do with the rhyme and the meter of the words and how it goes along with the melody than the message of the fourth stanza. But here's the fourth stanza of that song. His dying crimson, like a robe, spreads o'er his body on the tree. Then I am dead to the globe, and all the globe is dead to me. What he is saying there in that, in that fourth stanza is the cross demands a response. It's dying to ourselves to live for the things of God and to live in Christ. Again, it's why we do what we do. It is our response. It's why we live our life in worship to God. It's why we say yes to God before we even know the question. It's just us offering our lives to him, saying, whatever you want me to do, whatever you have me to do, I just say yes to you. And we're going to look at what causes our response in the song that we just sang, that gives us the joy and the hope and the peace and the power through the Holy Spirit to live like we are to live every day in this world and be in light where God has placed us, wherever that is. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 5. Now before we get there, uh, in Romans chapter 1 through 4, Paul sets us up and he establishes some things for us. Um, in chapters 1 through 4 of Romans, Paul is saying that all have fallen short of the glory of God, that we are all sinners, alienated and eternally separated from God. We are dead in our sins, and there's a penalty for that. The penalty of our sins is death, and we are absolutely hopeless on our own. But God and His kindness leads us to repentance. We are ultimately, thoroughly, completely saved through Jesus' death on the cross for our sins. It is by His grace, through faith, and it is a gift that we cannot earn. It is a gift that we do not deserve. God, in His mercy, sent His one and only Son to be our substitute. And He did nothing wrong. But all of our wrong was placed upon Him. For our sake that we may live. And he died the most horrible death on the cross so that we may be free to live abundantly and have life eternally with God. That's one through four. And if he would have stopped at the end of chapter four, the Roman, the church in Rome at that time, they would have known what a believer in Christ looked like. They would have known not only what brings salvation and forgiveness, they would have also been able to share that with other people. But thankfully he didn't 
end in chapter 4 because there is so much more to come. Students of Romans say the real big shift in Romans happens at chapter 12, verse 1, that Drew read for us where it says, Therefore, in view of everything that I've taught you, everything that I said, your response to the gospel is to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. It is your true spiritual act of worship. And no matter what the world says to you, no matter what message it's telling you to conform to, don't do it. Because what is in you is greater than the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will know what the will of God is. His perfect and His pleasing will. That's the big shift. In light of everything, our response is to offer our lives as a living sacrifice to be used as He wants us to be used. But backing back up to Romans 5, it's a smaller shift. It's a smaller pause. And what Paul is doing is also doing a little bit of a review. But he breaks it down just a little bit more, and he adds a bit of application to it, all right? So let's look with Romans chapter 5, starting with verse 1. Therefore, since we have been, big word here, justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, that word justified, it's a big word. It's a legal term, but it is a legal term that is a one-time legal declaration, okay, but with continuing results, Basically, it was completed in the past, it is still completed in the present, and it will remain completed in the future. So when Paul says, therefore, we have been justified by faith, all that we've done in the past, all that we'll do in the present and in the future, it is as if we have never sinned. That does not give us the license to just go live helter-skelter the way we want to live but it is a one and done thing. We are justified when God the Father looks at us, He sees His sons. Jesus, it is, not, it is as if we have never sinned. A one-time declaration with continuing results. But then He goes on in verse 1 and says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before we get into that peace, going back to the word justified, it is the same thing when Jesus said, it is finished on the cross. That beautiful Greek word, to telestai. It is finished. When Jesus spoke that word, to telestai, it is finished. That verb there in the Bible is in perfect tense. He is proclaiming victory over sin, death, hell, worry, anxiety, need, sickness, etc., etc., on and on and on. And he proclaimed that it is finished now, past, and future forevermore, knowing that his resurrection was also right around the corner. And then Paul ushers that idea of because of that justification, we have peace with God. And that word peace in the New Testament, in this scripture right here, 
on the outside, okay, it is an external meaning, but it also produces an internal response and feeling as well. But on the surface, it is not talking peace as in like a peace of mind, all right? What it is saying is that we are now and forever no longer under the wrath of God. We were enemies. We're not enemies anymore. It's a beautiful exchange. It is excha- it's an exchange from once we were enemies of God, but now we are forever His. We are His friends. We are His children. He calls us His own, and He calls us His sons and daughters. All of that is in that one verse of Scripture. So let's just read it again really quickly. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, it's done. It's done. It is finished. We have peace. We are no longer under His wrath. He calls us His own through our Lord Jesus Christ, and that is a free gift. Verse 2, through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now let me back up just a second, because although... That peace is that external meaning, as I said before. In light of all of that, the response of our lives, the response of our emotions is an internal peace that we are held secure in the hands of God forever. And because of that, it's verse 2. We have also obtained access Paul mentions a couple of benefits in verse 2 about peace. One, that access by faith means we have direct access to the presence and the reality of God Himself every moment of every single day. It is truly God with us, and what was unthinkable for the Old Testament Jew, is now available for everyone who believes through faith. And there is no longer any separation between us and God. The road has been paved. The temple curtain was split. We no longer have to go through a priest. We no longer have to go through an earthly mediator or anything. We have direct access to the Father. On the latter end of verse 2, I'll back up and start at the beginning again. Through Him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we, the next word we're going to look at is stand. Beautiful word in this passage that I want you to get. What is meant by Paul telling us to stand is a permanent. It is unshakable. 
It is unwavering. It is a permanent, secure position that we now enjoy with God. It cannot be removed. And again, it is through faith because of the grace of Jesus Christ poured out for us. And Paul goes on to say, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What does that even mean, the hope of the glory of God? Well, the New Testament word for hope is not like the English word, like I hope I can make it to the gas station before I run out of gas. No. The New Testament word for hope, and especially this, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, again, there's no uncertainty. It speaks of something that is absolute, but not yet fully realized. On earth, there's the traces that we have traces of the glory of God. We see it in nature. Garrison and I, when we're riding on the road and the sun begins to set, grace be with us all if you're around me driving. Now, I try to drive very safe especially when he or someone else is in the car with me, but we can get in all looking at sunsets. And often we talk about it, and he'll take pictures of the phone, and we talk about that's the glory of God. Man cannot do that. Man cannot change the colors of the sky, the reflection of the sun, off the clouds and stuff like that. That was God reminding us of his glory, of his power, of his grace. There are traces of the glory of God in us, but sin has blurred the picture. You did not do anything to cause your heart to beat, neither did I. I'm not doing anything to cause me to take in oxygen in my lungs and expel it. We're doing nothing of that, but that, has, that is how God has intricately and perfectly made us, created us, and, and as, as the Scripture says, He wove us together in our mother's wounds. Take our brains, for example. Our brains are so brilliant that science and even medical professionals don't completely understand the complexity of, us all, of it all. And the brain fascinates me. Those are glimpses and, the tra- and traces that we can see or experience here on this earth of the glory of God. But here's the deal. Here's the bad news, all right? The bad news is we're in a body that's dying. There's going to come a time we're going to breathe our last, and and that's going to be it. Our body is dying, but our ultimate and eternal destiny is to share in the very glory of God, fully restored, and that hope that he's talking about, the hope of the glory of God, is only because Jesus has secured it for us. And he accomplished it for us on the cross. As we've said already, we did nothing to deserve it. We cannot earn it. It is freely given to us. And it is the amazing, ultimate grace of God through Jesus on our lives. Let's look at verse 3 quickly. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Here we go. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance... Verse 4, produces character, and character produces hope. This is paralleled with what Jesus was saying in the last beatitude in in Matthew. And 
as, as you know about the Beatitudes, and as Charlie has taught on the Beatitudes before, and you've probably heard it in other places, the, the Beatitudes, at least how we use it in the English word, it, it's a play on words. You know, be attitude. It is the attributes of what a believer in Christ should look like. And at the end of the Beatitudes, Jesus says, it's his speaking here, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And verse 11 says, Blessed are you when others revile you and they persecute you and they utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So yes, we have this hope and glory. We have this hope of one day being fully restored and our bodies, and our minds, no sickness, no death, eternity, and God with heaven, but stuff to do. You know, we're just not going to be sitting around on the clouds singing songs and stuff like that. We're going to have cool stuff to do. And we will be fully with Jesus and God, Holy Spirit, right there in heaven. But here on this earth, if you are a believer in Christ... And this is kind of the warning on the box, if you will. The don't hold that Roman candle in your hand as you light it and shoot it. You know, it could explode. It's the warning. You are going to suffer and you are going to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. You are going to be persecuted. I am going to be persecuted. People are going to say false things about us. They're going to say things about us. It's going to hurt our feelings. All because of Jesus and His righteousness. The Beatitudes are about being. God's not interested really, in us checking off a list of to-dos, he's interested in who we are becoming because of his death of his son, Jesus Christ, and the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us. But through that all, we are going to suffer persecution. doesn't necessarily mean we're going to be put to death, but even here in America, and I don't know if it's... I was thinking about this earlier. I don't know if it's... I'm just more aware of it now. I'm 47, and I'm, and I'm kind of in a different stage of life. Or what... But it seems more over the past few years, the persecution of the church here in America has ramped up. As a believer in Christ, you will be persecuted for the things of God because here's, here's the truth. The world is tipping in the opposite direction of the gospel, and it always has. But if you stand for the things the Bible truly says, and the Bible draws some pretty heavy lines in the sand, if you stand for that, people are going to say bad things about you. People are going to persecute you. People are going to treat you differently. And it's because of righteousness' sake. It is, it's, a, it's the choices that we make to the world says this, 
But God says this, and I'm going to follow what God says in the world. I mean, what God says in His, in His Word. There will be persecution. But there's hope. Because as it says, our reward is great and it is full. And it's, although we know it's coming, it's not fully realized yet because we have not fully received it yet. But just hang on because this world is not your home. But you're going to be persecuted. Scripture says that the gospel is even going to cause friction and tension within families, within friends. It is going to cause friction because the ways of God are different than the ways of the world. But we have the eternal peace and knowing that we are fully connected to God. We have access to Him now. We are empowered through His Holy Spirit, and the best is truly yet to come. So let's bring this to a close here. Going back to Romans If we look at verse 5, it says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Yeah, you know what? When we live for the things of God and for the Word of God, that's going to cause friction. There's going to be persecution. Don't miss this. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And it's not only God loving us, it's even when we disagree with those around us, we love them. We don't chide them. We're not better than them. We're not some spiritual assassins that just throw a bunch of things at the Bible at them and tell them, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. No, we are to be the hands and feet of Jesus and come around them and to love them right where they are. No matter where that is, we are to love them. We are to serve them. And we are to share the grace and the mercy of God. And in sometimes sharing grace and mercy with those we disagree with means we swallow our pride. Because here's the beautiful thing about the cross and the beautiful thing about the resurrection. As believers, we experience both every single day. But there are some times in my life I need more of the cross. When I want to be right, when I think my point is the most important, I probably need the cross. To die to myself, to make sure that I am loving with the love of God that has been poured into my heart through the Holy Spirit. And there's sometimes we need more of the resurrection. Maybe it's despair we're experiencing, brokenness, loss. We need that hope of the resurrection that there is life and life abundantly and it's here for us now and it's coming and that God can restore all things and He truly makes all things new. 
And what blows me away, and truly, and it truly does, and it just causes a huge pause in my life, to be honest with you. Because you see me up here leading worship, and you see me up here teaching this, you don't know how big of a nut job I really am, right? Verse 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time, so it wasn't happenstance. It was designed into, by God the Father. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. Maybe somebody will die for a good person. And here it is, verse 8. God, but God, and all of our mess, and our death, and our recklessness, when we were strangers, enemies, and alienated from Him, when nothing in our spirit was desiring Him, God showed His love for us in that while we were still sinners... Not on our good days, but in spite. Christ died for us. We went from completely dead, nothing to offer God. Enemies separated. And the exchange was our stuff and our mess put on the sinless Son of God that we may be right with the Father, have access to Him and live. That is our hope. That is our peace. That's why we do what we do. We were once far off. Now we're children. We were once lost and we're found. And I pray that gives you great pause and a great shift as well. Because, yes, it is for us. It's for us as individuals, but it's, and it's, it's for others. Our actions, they, they, they do matter. And the way we present ourselves as believers in Christ, it matters. I don't have to agree with you to love you. The world says, oh, no, no, you can't. No, I don't have to agree with you to love you. But I'm going to show you the grace and the mercy of Jesus to wash your feet and to walk next to you. And when they can't walk, we put them on our backs and we carry them. It's called community. It's called connection. And we were all designed and created to connect with God and then to connect with others. And it's all through what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross and through the empty tomb.
to tell us die, it is finished. Whatever you're dealing with today, it's finished. It's finished. And I speak that over you this morning. It is finished. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and again, we're not deserving, but you give it anyway. And I just pray that we'll handle it in the right way, Lord. We are not to, we are not to lord it over anybody. but humbly present who you are to the world and tell the story of what you've done for us and the hope and the peace. We're grateful that you inspired your servant Paul to write further in Romans 8 verses 1 that there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I pray this morning somebody will receive that that needs to receive it. And even as we walk out of here in a few moments that we'll carry the truth that no matter what we're going through, you are with us. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.